right, thank you. Would you uh, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at a topic today that deals with marriage. We're going to talk about a wife who loves her husband, and then the next week we're going to talk about a husband who cares for her wife, or for his wife, I should say. <laughs> husband who cares for his wife, yeah. All right, would you uh, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3? I want to read this for us as we begin. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way, way to fear. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And today as we talk about marriage and talk about uh, the role of the wife and next week the role of the husband, I pray that you would just help us again to hear this for our day, for our relationships, and to understand your will for our lives. And Father, I thank you for the guidance and instruction you give in all areas. Uh, we've been looking at uh, relationship to the government, relationship in terms of our work, and now today we're going to be talking about marriage. And I pray that you would open our eyes to see the truth that is here. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it seems that everyone has an opinion about love and marriage these days, and uh, including our children. And I want you to listen to some comments that uh, these children, ages 6 to 10, had to say about love and marriage. One young boy who's age 8 wrote that love will find you even if you're trying to hide from it. I've been trying to hide from it since I was 5, but the girls keep finding me. <laughs> or another uh, girl said this, Regina, age 10. She said, I'm not rushing into love. Fourth grade is hard enough. Uh, they were asked the question, what are some ways to make someone fall in love with you? One little boy said, tell them that you own a whole bunch of candy stores, age six. Or another young boy, Alonzo, said, uh, don't do things like have smelly green sneakers. You might get attention, but attention isn't the same thing as love. <laughs> and then uh, another question was asked, tell us your thoughts on kissing. Brian, age seven, said, you learn it right on the spot when the gushy feelings get the best of you. <laughs> or another boy, age six, said, if it's your mom, you can kiss her anytime. But if it's a new person, you better ask for permission. <laughs> and then one last one, Will said this. He said, I look at it like this. Kissing is fine if you like it, but it's a free country and nobody should be forced to do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great comments by kids. Uh, you can find, you know, online, on the internet, or you can see articles that are written all the time relating to relationships and kind of how we should be treating one another in those relationships. 
But where do we turn to find solid instruction on marriage and building a healthy marriage? It's right here in God's Word, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. And this passage, Peter, once again, to put this into context, uh, is saying that in every area of our life, we should live in such a way that others can see Jesus in us. So whether we're at home, in our family relationships, people should see the difference that Christ has made in us, or if we're at work, or we're at school, or we're talking about our relationship in society as a whole, Peter is urging all of us to live in such a way, again, that people can see the difference that Christ has made in our life. And that's especially important when it comes to marriage. Uh, we're going to talk today, again, uh, once again, about a wife who loves her husband. We'll look at that responsibility, and then next week, we're going to talk about a husband who cares for his wife. So there are three things I want to share from this text this morning that I hope will be an encouragement to you. Uh, number one, a wife who loves her husband will put Christ first in her life. First things first is going to be that relationship with Christ that becomes so important because everything else flows from that. In verses 1 and 2, uh, Peter says that in the same way wives are to be submissive to their husbands, and what he means there when he says in the same way, he's been talking about how we are to be submissive to governing authorities or submissive to our employer or those that we uh, work for. Now he's saying that wives should show that same kind of submission and respect to their husbands. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about what that means under the third point that I share today. But here is this attitude that Peter presents right at the beginning. That we as Christians are to have this kind of humble and submissive or respectful attitude in all of our relationships. And that shows up in the relationship between a husband and wife in the home as well. And he tells us that one of the reasons for that is actually evangelistic. He said, wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Win them by your life. Without a word, literally, is what he's saying there, that they would see the purity and reverence of your lives, and they would be drawn to Christ as a result. That's very interesting. Now you take that in the context in which Peter is writing and what was going on there was that in the Roman world, Christianity spread faster among women than it did among their husbands. Husbands may have felt like they had more to lose socially. If they were to become a Christ follower, they wouldn't again participate in the worship of Roman gods, the worship of the emperor. They may have thought they might have had more to lose if they uh, became a follower of Jesus Christ. But a wife who had become a Christian and refused to worship the Roman gods could also be charged with atheism, a crime against the state. And so these things were serious. And I think it may just be that, again, uh, sometimes women are more open to the gospel initially. Sometimes men can be a little like, you know, independent. I'm going to do this myself and take care of things and I don't need anybody else. And God has to work on us a little longer to break us down and to see our need for Christ. In any case, here were these wives who had come to know the Lord, and they're in the church, and they have husbands who are expecting their wives to submit to them and to obey them. 
And these Christian women may have been asking the question of Peter, what should we do as a new Christian? What are we to do? What if our husband says, I don't want you to go to church? Or what if our husband says, I don't want you to be this follower of Christ? What is this thing you're talking about anyway? What should you do? And again, there are limits in this area as well, uh, just like there were limits in terms of obedience to the government. If the government asks you to do anything that is contrary to God's word, that would go against the word of God, that uh, we have a responsibility to honor God first. And there's a place for that kind of conscientious objection. And so here, for a Christian wife to be respectful of her husband is important, but there also are limits on how far that can go. And yet Peter very wisely instructs them in terms of answering this question, what should we do? Peter says, win them by your life. Let them see Jesus in you. Let them see the purity of your life, the reverence of your life, and pray. Pray that God would use you to bring them into a relationship with his son. And that's what they did. You remember from church history the name Augustine. He was one of the greatest theologians in the history of the church. He lived in the late 300s into the 400s. And uh, his mother uh, did this very thing. His mother, Monica, was the first in their family to come to know Christ. And she prayed faithfully that her husband, Patricius, would come to know Jesus too and become a Christ follower. She prayed for her son, Augustine, that he would come to know Jesus and change his life and come into a relationship with him. And so uh, she came to know Christ and she lived respectfully and honored her husband and prayed for them both. And Patricius was a good man. Uh, He taught Augustine many things. He wanted him to get a good education. So he worked hard. He sent his son to the university of their time. He wanted him to learn rhetoric, to get a good job, to perhaps be a teacher or to be a lawyer or some other occupation like that. But Patricius was not a believer. And Monica cried out to God for his salvation. And shortly before his death, he accepted Christ as his Savior too. And in uh, Augustine's book, Confessions, which is just a a great classic book to read, uh, he said this about his mother. He said, she served her husband as her master and did all she could to win him for you. That is Jesus. She spoke to him of you by her conduct, by which you made her beautiful. She trusted Christ. She guarded her words and what she said, and she put more emphasis upon living the kind of life that would be attractive for Christ. And what a great example that was. You know, there are many who are in that situation today. Uh, Sometimes it's the wife who's a believer and the husband is not, but we also have people in our church where it's the husband who is the believer and the wife is not. And we can't push anyone into the kingdom of God. You know, that you have to come of your own choice, your own decision that you make in that way as God works in your heart and opens your eyes to see it. Uh, but it is the work of the Holy Spirit, and our part is to just be that winsome witness for Christ. Paul Cedar was a president of the Evangelical Free Church a number of years ago, and he was a pastor before that. 
And he shared how one time he had a young woman come to him who also asked a question in this area. She and her husband had lived a very immoral life before they came to Christ. And in this case, once again, it was the wife who came, became a believer first. And it was through the ministry of their church that she heard the gospel and she asked Jesus to forgive her sins and be her savior. And she came to uh, Pastor Cedar and she asked him the question, you know, how can I influence my husband so that he might come to know Christ too? And Paul shared these words with her. He took her to 1 Peter 3 and he said this. He said, at the proper time, tell your husband what has happened to you. Tell him about the love and forgiveness of Christ and what a difference he is making in your life. And then never mention another word about God or Christ or the gospel again until he asks you or until the Holy Spirit prompts you to speak. In the meantime, live for Christ in all that you do. Allow him to fill you with the Holy Spirit and to give you the fruit of the spirit of love and joy and peace and so on. We prayed together, and then she went home to live for Christ and to love her husband as only Christ could enable her to do. Some three months later, I had the privilege of leading her husband to Christ. And at that time, I asked him, what influenced you most for Jesus? And he said, without a moment's hesitation, he said, it has been my wife. Several weeks ago, she told me of how she had come to know Christ personally She said that she hoped I would also come to Christ, but that she would not bug me. And whenever I had a question or whenever I was ready to know more, she would share with me. She was a changed woman. She did not nag me or preach to me. She only loved me. And I know that whatever she has is what I want and need. And I believe that is Jesus Christ. You know, here was an example of a woman who did what this passage teaches. And there's no guarantee that your husband is going to come to know Christ. Again, that's a a work of God in their life as well. And there is this decision that they need to make to trust in Christ. But this is the very best way to live. To let your life shine. Because in this case, actions do speak louder than words. And if you will trust God in that, and if you will pray for your husband or your children, and you will live as a witness for Christ, God is going to honor that. And I believe that those are prayers that he longs to answer when we pray for our loved ones that they would know Jesus too. Secondly, a wife who loves her husband will grow in inner beauty. She will make that the priority of her life. She will strive to be more beautiful on the inside with every passing year. Look at verses 3 and 4 again. He said that your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. You know, it's just, again, interesting to look at this passage because what it tells us is, is that in Peter's day, Uh, women were concerned about their appearance. I mean, they were concerned about how they looked, and they would spend a great deal of time and money if they had it on their appearance. Uh, Particular fashions of the day included braided hair. Sometimes gold was woven into it in elaborate manners. 
Or sometimes it was just gold jewelry that was worn along with that. Women wanted to have nice clothes. They wanted to keep up with the latest fashions. And I'm thinking this is interesting because he's talking in his church and the churches he's addressing, some of them were slaves and they had come out of slavery and yet they're still concerned about looking nice. And you know, we're not any different today, are we? I mean, women in every age have been concerned about their appearance. And in our society, our world, our world puts so much emphasis on external beauty that billions of dollars are spent every year to have the right look, the right hair, the right figure, the right clothes. I mean, it's, it's just part of what uh, is you know, presented to us in the media and advertising and the images that we see. And young girls and young women in particular grow up thinking that if they have hair like this person or if they had a figure like this person or if they have a smile like this person, you know, well then a life will be happy or they'll find the right relationship or, you know, all these good things are going to happen. Uh, just this week on the internet I saw one of those articles that was talking about how even uh, celebrities have tremendous amounts of photoshopping done to make them look attractive. And if you're an advertiser, you know, advertisers do all this kind of photoshopping just to present the right look. And, you know, if there's uh, any kind of flaw in the complexion, that can be taken out and smoothed over so that you look fabulous, you know, in your appearance. If there's an unsightly bulge there, that can be taken out. If you don't feel like you're thin enough, they can make you thinner. Or if you're too thin, they can make you a little curvier or whatever you need. And all of these images are presented. And in this particular article, they were also showing the impact that has upon young women who look at these images in magazines and on television and movies and they think, you know, that's how I should look. That's what I need. If I could look like that, then I'd be happier. And it makes them feel like they don't measure up. It affects their self-esteem. And that's, that's tragic. I mean, and the sad truth is that, you know, you can have uh, all of that in terms of the best appearance and looking uh, physically attractive and all of that and still have a lousy marriage. Because that's not what builds a good relationship. It's not that physical appearance that makes the difference in a relationship. It's what's on the inside that matters most. And I look at that here and I, I see what is it that God values? What is it that God looks for in us? And what is this word that he is giving us here about what's important? He's saying that our beauty should not come, or a woman's beauty should not come from the outward adornment, but it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit that is of great worth in God's sight. Now God isn't saying here, you know, don't braid your hair or don't wear jewelry, or don't have clothes that look nice. This isn't an absolute prohibition on these things. Unfortunately, sometimes in the history of the church, there have been, you know, kind of these aesthetic movements that go into that and say, you know, you need to cut it all out and shouldn't have any of this. I don't think that's the point here. I think the point of what the scripture is saying here is that our focus should not be on the external, but it should be the internal. That doesn't mean you can't dress nicely or shouldn't take care of yourself, we all should in terms of our physical health and well-being. 
But the priority is the heart. It's what's on the inside. And, you know, when God says that a gentle and quiet spirit is of great worth to him, the word that he uses there means expensive. It's precious. It's expensive to him. Now, think about that. I mean, that says something. If I say that something is expensive to me, that doesn't mean a lot because there's a lot of things that I can't afford, you know, I mean, that would be out of my price range and would be considered expensive. But if the God of the universe says something is expensive to him, something's precious to him, that means something. And the most precious thing that a woman has is her character, her inner beauty, her love for God, her love for people, a gentle and quiet spirit that trusts in the Lord. A woman who loves her husband will grow in that kind of inner beauty to become more and more Christ-like in her thoughts and actions with every passing year. I want to share a a personal story that actually relates to the speaker who's uh, going to be coming here in a couple weeks, Jim Keller, and it relates to how Gail and I met. Uh, Jim was one of the guys at Morehead State involved with Campus Crusade for Christ that was discipling me when I was a student. And I remember there was this one day when I'm a a senior. We've been involved with Campus Crusade for about three years. I've known Gail through that time, and we've worked together on some things and that. And uh, one day I'm meeting with Jim one-on-one in the student union, and Jim says to me, he goes, "Uh, do you know that Gail likes you? (laughs) I was like, "Uh, no, I was kind of clueless. You know, I mean, I know that we like each other in terms of working together or doing things, but I wasn't thinking anything beyond that. And he goes, no, no, she really likes you. And uh, Jim's wife, Renee, had been meeting with Gail, and so kind of knew this, you know. And uh, Gail, when she found this out, was embarrassed by that later that they would say anything on this. But I remember after talking to Jim, uh, before my next class, I went into the men's restroom, I looked in the mirror, and I just looked at myself, and I thought, Nah, she couldn't like me. I just, I thought she was, you know, just so pretty and so out of my league that I just thought, you know, it's not going to happen. But I'm glad she did. I'm glad she did. And in that course of that senior year, we met and we connected and we began to date and God brought us into a relationship with one another. I've chuckled about that at times in the past. Um, You may have been at a wedding that Pastor Jason has done and Once in a while, he'll say to the husbands, you know, that you're about to join a select group of men. Uh, It's the group where uh, you say, how did I ever get so lucky to be married to this woman? You know, there's a lot of truth in that. And what I've appreciated about Gail is not only was she attractive to me uh, physically, but even more so, it was her character, her love for God, her passion for ministry, Uh, She wanted to go into ministry as well as I did. She joined the staff of Campus Crusade for Christ, worked in Buffalo for a year before we were engaged and married. And she just had that passion, that love for God that I have always respected and been attracted to. And she has worked at that through the years. And I just want to say this word about my wife. One of the things that I've admired is her consistency in terms of her quiet time and her walk with God. She has always been so faithful to study the scriptures. 
Uh, even when our boys were young in those preschool years, you know, for a woman, when you have preschoolers at home, what's the most precious time of the day? Well, it's probably bedtime when they finally go to sleep and you have a little time. And it's also when they take naps. And when your kids go down for a nap and you're tired, you know, there's a whole bunch of things you could think about doing. And what I admired about Gail was that that's when she did her quiet time. That she took her most valued time of the day and she spent that with the Lord in terms of a quiet time. And just it's those kind of decisions in her life that I have seen the fruit of and that really counted for me an honor to be married to her and to be her husband. And that's what I'm talking about in this passage as well, that a woman who loves the Lord and loves her husband is going to put that emphasis upon her relationship with Christ first and then upon growing in that and growing in inner beauty because that's going to spill over into everything else in your life. It's going to affect how you look at life, how you treat your children, how you treat your husband, how you treat others because Christ is going to change you from the inside out. And then that leads to the third point I want to share this morning, that a woman who loves her husband will honor and respect him. Will honor and respect him. In verses 5 and 6, he says this, For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, and like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Peter points to Sarah here as an example of one who honored her husband. And he writes that in the same way, all Christian wives should be submissive to their husbands. And I know it, once again, this whole idea of submission raises questions and sometimes objections on the part of people. Some want to say this is cultural and it doesn't apply anymore. And there's no doubt that things have changed from the time Abraham and Sarah lived to the New Testament to today. Um, you know, wives don't call their husbands master. They don't, and that's not expected that they should. I jokingly kidded Gail. I said, you know, hey, I think you ought to call me master like Sarah did. And so she said, yes, master. And she said, how did that sound? And I said, that sounded like I dream of genie, and that's not really the uh, uh, best comparison you want to have here either, you know. And, and we just don't do that. And, but we want to show respect in ways that are culturally appropriate today. How does a wife show respect for her husband today? What does that mean? And, and how do you express that? And you don't, you know, talk down about your husband when you're with other girls outside of the home, or you don't put him down in front of him, in front of friends or things like that. You speak with respect about your husband. You honor him. You speak well of him in all situations. And you want to build him up and encourage him and do those kind of things that are so important for a healthy relationship. The reason why many women, though, struggle with submission is because of these three things. One, sometimes there has been abuse in the past, past abuse. And there are too many times when men have wrongly applied or misused this passage to say, you need to do this. Or kind of put the hammer down and said, this is the way it's going to be. And a husband can't demand submission. Submission needs to be freely given. 
And a husband needs to live in a way that is worthy of that too. A husband needs to love and respect his wife so that she feels like she can trust him. And both of those really go hand in hand. Uh, There are limits again. A husband should never ask his wife to do anything that would be illegal or immoral or make her feel uncomfortable. Instead, a husband should ask of his wife those things that are appropriate and honoring to God and to work at that together. And when two people get that, you know, this whole idea of unconditional love and unconditional respect and those things go together, when two people get that and you have a wife who loves her husband and a husband who loves his wife, the whole issue of submission rarely emerges. Most of the time, you make decisions together. You talk about things, you come to a decision together, each has input, you trust each other, respect each other, and you work it out. It's only rarely that once in a while, okay, you know, maybe you don't see it the same way and a decision has to be made, and so God has said, okay, I want the husband to be the head of the home, and a decision needs to be made in respect. In the book Boundaries, the Christian counselors, uh, Cloud and Townsend, have said this, that they have never seen a, quote, submission problem that didn't have a controlling husband at its root. That a submission problem generally isn't the wife's fault. It's more often the husband who's trying to be controlling and get his way and demand certain things, and you have issues that come up. And so those are things that need to be looked at. It's not always that way, but those are things that need to be talked about. What's at the root of this? Why is there concern here? And why are two people not learning to work together in love and to make good decisions together? There are also misunderstandings about submission. Submission does not imply inferiority in any way. We are joint heirs with Christ. Peter's going to say that in verse 7. Uh, Paul writes in Galatians 3, 26 to 28 that we are equal in God's sight, but there are still differences between men and women, and those differences affect what we do and our roles in the marriage and in the home. And those are things that we need to work through. And so when I come to this area of submission, I would say that submission is primarily an attitude of humility and respect. Humility and respect for one another. And then thirdly, the biggest hesitation is fear. Fear. What will happen if I do submit to my husband? What will I give up? What will I lose? Are some of the questions that are often asked. And Peter addresses that here too. When he talks about Sarah as an example for women in his generation and today as well, he said, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. His emphasis is on trusting God. Trusting God to work in your situation. Love your husband, honor him, respect him, and see what God will do. You know, in all of these areas, it really comes back to putting God first, letting him work in us, and letting Christ show in our life by our actions. Those actions speak louder than our words. And when we do that, Again, God moves. And when we pray, God works in the heart of the other person to draw them to Christ as well. You know, there are a lot of great books that have been written today that can help in the area of marriage and relationships. I'm going to give you a list of the ones that would be at the 
top of my list in terms of books on marriage that I would recommend. Um, I like Love and Respect by Emerson Egeritz. He deals with the issues of unconditional love and unconditional respect. Those are important. Uh, we've got The Meaning of Marriage by Tim and Kathy Keller. I think that's the best overall book on marriage that I have read from a Christian point of view. Uh, we've also got uh, books like His Needs, Her Needs by Willard Harley that addresses the differences between men and women and understanding that is just so helpful in marriage. The Five Love Languages, I know many of you have read that. That deals with how do we express love in a way that connects with the other person and communicates love. Because sometimes we think we're showing love and we're missing the mark because what we're trying to do isn't exactly what they are looking for and what meets their needs. And so that's important to understand. And then one other that my wife has recommended at times too is um, The Proper Care and Feeding of Husbands, kind of a humorous title there, by Dr. Laura. Uh, she is not a Christian. She's um, Jewish in background, I believe. I think that's right. And uh, yet she has a very good book just on understanding men and their needs. And, you know, guys are not too complex. They're pretty simple in terms of what their needs are, and that's a book that addresses a lot of that from a woman's point of view. So those would be good books that I would encourage you to read. And then uh, coming back here to the text, you know, when I think about this, a woman who loves her husband is going to focus on these three things. She will put Christ first in her life, and she will work to grow in her relationship with him. She'll emphasize inner beauty and strive for that and work at that to be more Christ-like with every passing year. And finally, she will honor and respect her husbands in ways that communicates to him uh, love and respect. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. Thank you for your word and for the truth that is contained there. And when I think about the marriages in our church, you know my heart and the heart of our church is to want all of us to have healthy and growing marriages that are centered upon Christ, that really do reflect what it is that you want to see in husbands and in wives and in our relationship together. And so, Lord, would you take this uh, truth today that we have shared and apply it to our lives. Help us to live in obedience to what you ask and to honor you in all things. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.